hello and welcome to the Pilgrim's Digress 14.5. This is our digression on chapter 14, Faithful. Faithful to the end, our guy Faithful. And uh, we're going to be talking mostly about the trial that Christian and Faithful endure. I would say uh, endure or are the victims of because it's a crap trial. I think you put trial in quotations as well. Yeah, you can hear the trial. You can hear the quotes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Quotes in them. Yeah, and, and we, our promise to you was that it would be at least as fair and equitable and right as the the trial that Jesus had. And honestly, how could we expect anything better for ourselves? Mm. The servants don't deserve better than the master. So yeah, and maybe the the first and foremost lesson here is that being a Christian means not getting a fair shake on this earth, and. The good news is it means not getting a fair judgment yeah. based on my own merits. In every way, ultimately. it's not a fair shake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll take the unfair Jesus righteousness credited as my righteousness For along with Alex. the unfair people think I'm hateful when I'm showing love. Hmm. Sure. Yeah. Or, or the unfair I don't get that promotion because I'm not that much fun. Yeah. Give because I don't go out drinking with everybody. Yeah. Uh, or whatever. So uh, it's that that's... In a nutshell, I think we're looking at, but there's a lot of cool scripture references. A lot of ties in to tie-ins? Ties in. Tie-ins? You say it however you want, baby. (laughs) A lot of tie-ins. No one can say it wrong. To the book of Acts, chapter 19, chapter 5, chapter 16, chapter 25. I mean, like, throughout the book of Acts, we see people getting unfair trials. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, And you see sometimes Paul saying, uh, don't think so. You can't do that. And sometimes just suffering. Roll the punches. In fact, even, I may be wrong here, it's been a while since I preached through Acts, and uh, honestly, it's been a little while, a little while since I've read through Acts. I think even the famous time that he says he's a Roman citizen, what in the world does that sound? The air conditioning's off, right? Yeah. Oh, they're doing something over at the... Uh, well, enjoy the sounds of Lansing. Yeah, the sounds of Lansing. Uh, the sweet it, we're very late recording this, because as we've said, we're in a, morning. a working church office, and uh, we are in an urban setting. And people stop by for help, and uh, we we got to help them. Uh, so it's been a weird one because yeah. Uh, yeah, sometimes these things are more eventful or or more unusual than others. But we're here. So I, I was saying that the uh, the famous time that, that Paul plays that Roman citizen card, it's after the fact, mm-hmm. after he was beaten. Yeah. So he even endured it. And then I think he used that just so that he could leverage that situation, not just into him suffering for the name, but also into him proclaiming the name to people uh, and being able to get the most kind of the, the loudest megaphone for his message of Jesus as Savior. For sure. All this stuff is just spectacular. Let's start. We've got, we got handouts this time. We got handouts. I printed out uh, the pages here because I don't have my little uh, bright yellow handouts. Yeah, they're yeah. yellow. They're beautiful. Listen, nothing but the best. Yellow handouts for sunny boys. I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Zach knows what he's saying. Cut. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm Zach, and this Roll is Mr. Sagacity. You know yeah. by now, this is not the kind of podcast you should just listen to the latest one to see if you like it. If you haven't been listening, go back to the beginning. What are you doing? So here we are at the convenient time, having been determined. These two gentlemen, faithful and Christian, are brought up out of the dungeon to the courthouse proper. And here they are accused of what? That they, 
were enemies of and disturbers of the trading at the fair, that they had both caused commotions and divisions in the town, and had gained supporters for their most dangerous opinions in contempt of the law of their prince, who is, of course, Beelzebub himself. There's something goofy to me about them, like, yeah, yeah, of course that's our friends. Beelzebub. Yeah, we're Beelzebub guys. Yeah. I don't think we're more than a stone throw from that in our culture, but... Yeah, I mean, I guess with I guess with just blatant open paganism on the rise, mm-hmm. you know, sure, why not? The giant pagan is just there's sightings all the time. Coming home, yeah, yeah, he's coming home from holiday. <laughs> it's a it was a busman's holiday. Yeah, I love that term. I barely know what it means. I'm all over the map. This is my third espresso of the day, so you're living in the moment. Apologies, I can see it in your eyes. <laughs> it's unusual for me to live in the moment. Oh, but large eyes. <laughs> The reference there for 349, this is on uh, on your turf, man. Mr. Sagacity is our axe man today, if you will. And that doesn't mean that he's playing a guitar in like a wailing way like all of the 80s. It means that he's in the book of Acts where most of these texts are. Acts 1925. That was clever. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> you know the funny thing? Neither did I. I'm so in the moment right now. But I had no idea it was coming out of my mouth when I opened it. Acts 1925 says... These he gathered together with the workmen in familiar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. So these are the silversmiths Silversmiths, in Ephesus, and they're saying you're messing with our bottom line, which I think most even philosophical and religious and cultural values will go out the back door for unregenerate people or or nominal believers in in a religion once you start messing with their income. With the money. Yeah. And that's what Paul was doing, and that is certainly what Christian and faithful were doing. Yeah, uh, Not only by showing that there was the option of plugging your ears and saying, I will not look at va- vain things, keep Lord, keep vanity out of my sight, but also uh, in our telling here, by the overturning of things, the kind of upending of things that is caused by these uh, earthquakes and, and sh- aftershocks. and well, truth, after they tell the truth, after they say what's what is correct. Yes. And it goes out into their falsity and their lies. This happens. Mm -hmm. This happens where a pointedly spoken biblical truth can kill the mood really quick. And I mean, this is why I, I know guys now this is in my mind, this is foolish unless you are a very, very particular kind of guy. But I've known some gentlemen who used to go out, uh, in front of a strip club, far enough away where they weren't uh, part of it or seen to be part of it and they weren't protesting and holding signs like you people are bad people. They're passing out gospel literature because this is a place where people are going to gather when, well, for some, life's not going well and for others, maybe life's going really well but they have no real uh, solid ground to stand on and they don't know how to really celebrate that or give thanks to God. And just the presence of someone with the Bible is enough to really kind of kill that mood of carnal celebration. And uh, the, the one guy I'm thinking of who, who did this the most frequently, if he wasn't, you know, six, seven and could rip a Buick in half with his bare hands, probably would have gotten beat up because there were mm-hmm. a lot of tents. Like, what are you doing here? Why don't you just leave? We don't want you here. This is public space. You know, I'm on the sidewalk here or whatever. And, you know, eventually calling the cops and the cops saying, you're harassing people. You have to leave. Uh, that's that's what we're seeing here, a sense of we don't want to be reminded that there's more to this life, or we don't want to be reminded that the road we're on in this life leads to, eventually, it leads through a lot of carnal pleasure, but it leads to emptiness. Meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. We've even named our freaking town after it. Especially if that thing's God to you. You know, mm. I, mean, I, mean, I mean, if your existence is a strip club, 
then, as you said, you highlighted two camps, and I think that one camp is much larger than the other one, and I think that's the <laughs> yeah. sad, the, the, the kind of sad realities of life have really I was, struck in. I was thinking about how a lot of guys in my high school, when they turned 18, the big celebration, the big birthday party was uh, Deja Vu in Saginaw. That's where they wow. would go. Or, you know, you, you hear about bachelor parties and stuff, uh, veering in that direction, where it's a time where you yeah. could be giving thanks to God, but... How sad is it that you only get to see your wife naked now? We got to go. We got to go destroy that. Yeah, yeah. The old before, ball and chain. Before the old ball the and old, chain yeah. comes. Yeah. It's, that's a bummer to me. Big time. And I think it is to everybody walking in that door, too. Uh, but as long as everyone we're interacting with is buying and selling at Vanity Fair. Yeah. We can all forget together. We can agree to forget. Bring in a Christian, a faithful, an evangelist. Uh, and Some suddenly... The, I mean, you were talking about just a presence of a Bible or something, but... I'm, Imagine if you had a clerical collar mm. just walking by. I mean, I mean, I mean, they're being they're they're dressed differently. Yeah, that expresses yeah. them. I mean, so imagine if you were wearing you know just just a clerical collar or something, like or that. a WWJD bracelet or something. Or something. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I think one has a little bit more. Or that T-shirt you have that's like troubling, but also uh, uh, super sure. cool. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, any. Anything that's going to break that immersion, anything that's going to break that that you know you know your false reality that we've built that this is all that there is, this is all that there is around us. Don't try and pull me out of it. Don't try and red pill me. You know, mm. you know, bring me out of it and show me the show me the workings of the matrix at all. Where I'm just heaping judgment upon myself every single time I come back to this place and I decide to do to do trade. Now these things get complicated when there's a ch- uh, church in town. Yeah. Which there seems to be in almost every town in this land, and there is here as well. They talk about their churches, and Faithful has said, your churches, because they affirm the flesh, are useless. So now, I mean, I think when you talk about someone in clerical garb, yeah. bringing down the mood, I immediately think of Rome, and mm-hmm. Luther going to Rome, and thinking it's going to be this experience of the transcendent, of the presence of Christ, because the apostles are buried here, the beautiful yeah. cathedrals of Christendom are here, and he gets here and he finds brothels just for clerics yeah and like in saxony where he's from if you're if a priest is around you just clean up your language and you, mm. and you act respectful in rome you say oh i've got you know the great selection of you know i know you like to get drunk i know you like uh prostitutes i know you you priestly guys with all the the power and wealth and influence you have like the finer things in life so i think that that just a presence of some kind of religion mm. is is not necessarily going to be the problem when vanity is there because even today in our culture bring up god hmm. only the the most like crossfit vegan type of atheist that like <laughs> you know shoves it down your throat is going to get upset but bring up certain biblical truths that pull the rug out from under our our hedonism and our our atomism now suddenly we're very upset and mm. you're a very bad guy and I'd like to talk to the manager of the Twitter or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, we, we can see how they got in trouble. You and I have both been in this kind of trouble, not mm. with these stakes where they're going to burn us at the stake. Rarely ever have I been in that position. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, things happen. Yeah. Uh, we got another Axe one here, uh, Axe Man, and it's going to get less funny. It's going to be diminishing returns, but I'm going to keep milking that cow. Can I break something to you? Break it. You're already there. Already on You've the already second time? The, yeah, the second time. <laughs> You've already reached the destination. But have you ever known me to a, to be a guy who stops beating oh, the no, dead horse? No, no, that's uh, why that's why I wanted to get out in front of it. <laughs> um, 
Faithful stands up. He gives his initial opening statement in which he explains, all I ever did is uh, I didn't cause a disturbance. I didn't try to get people, you know, in a party against you. Rather, people had pity on us. And as for this king you talk about, since he is Beelzebub, the enemy of our Lord, I defy him and all his hellish angels. That kind of evokes uh, Peter uh, being dragged in front of the Sanhedrin and, and refusing to back down. Acts 5.29 but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. This is one that gets pulled out a lot lately. Right, um, right. Resist the tyrant, kind of like the mixing of mixing of kind of libertarian concepts with modern day Christianity. And you say, see, it's always been about right, right. overthrowing the government and things like that. Eh, you know, careful. Yeah. Careful not yeah. to damn the Lord Jesus with faint praise mm. by watering down the gospel with stuff that is tied to fleeting political ideology. Yeah. Whether, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't even probably bother to argue against someone holding those views as yeah. if they were contrary to scripture. Sure. It's not even the shirt that says, obey God, defy tyrants. Yeah. It's the circumstances that cause people to post a picture of the shirt. Yeah. That always makes me uncomfortable. And go, Absolutely. Yikes, my sacrilege meter is kind of beeping right now. Right. Is this at the center of the gospel? Is this the heart of the gospel that's at stake here? Or is this something on a fringe? Or is this something that, you know what? You may just have to live the rest of your earthly life without. Yeah. Because your treasure's already in heaven. And your comfort's already in heaven, and your portion's already in heaven. And, and you're you know, not even in a, sol a cell in a dungeon like yeah, faithful yes. and Christian. You're yeah. in a, a, a four-bedroom house. Yeah. So, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it, it is uh, tempting sometimes to, to make that move. But for them to evoke this kind of thought, perfectly legitimate. And God help us all to have the strength when it comes to that time to say, and it's usually not going to be standing before Lord hate good. Hmm. And there's a jury over here ready to condemn you. It's usually going to be a group of friends or acquaintances ready to mock and laugh and jeer or a boss mm -hmm. insisting that you compromise this a little bit Yeah. Uh, or a spouse. Yeah. Who knows? It, and, and I must obey God rather than men in its right context. What a great statement. What a godly statement. We, we had this conversation kind of towards the beginning of beginning of COVID, right? How long do you submit versus... It's getting so political in here. Okay. <laughs> no, you don't have to talk about that. No, go ahead. I would just say that towards the beginning of COVID, this was this was a, a really important conversation, I think, to have. Because, you know, you know, we as Christians, we are to submit to our governments. We are to submit to the people that God has put over us. But at the same time, if someone's coming in and saying, you're not going to take the Lord's Supper for years, not a chance. I'm commanded to do this. I will do this. And I will suffer the punishment right. for doing it. That's fine. Sing. Or, right, I'm, I'm, I'm about to sing, okay, well, at this point you're telling me directly to not do things that God has told us to do. This is how you glorify me. And the world comes in and says, don't. Mm -hmm. Well, no. Yeah. For, for the record, it didn't get anywhere near. I don't think the time frame that oh, no. would have made us think no, we're no, going to no. defy. And, yeah, we, we, and we, yeah. we were, I mean. I think it was part of the conversation, though. Yeah. And, 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 and in certain parts of the country, it became... Yes. Parts of the conversation between, you know, Christians and their local governments. So I think that I think that we lucked out in a lot of ways here, at least, where I never felt persecuted, you know. Well, then you're doing it wrong. You should always you feel should persecuted. You should always feel right. Right. Sorry. <laughs> I guess I dropped the ball on that one. 
But there's, I mean, there's other things that don't go. That, that was a, a season of yes. like, yeah. And it was more in my mind weighing the safety of people against, um, you know, how long could we agree? You know, if, if there's yeah. a if there's a tornado that tears a whole town down on Saturday and they don't meet for worship on Sunday, no one's going to say, "Oh, you're forsaking oh, the assembly of the saints." You know, right. it, it, in my mind, it was it, it was more like that. It was like this is providentially hindered type stuff. Yeah, you know, and, and I do believe. Christians are called to gather together on the Lord's Day every Lord's Day unless they are providentially hindered. And if you're a a doctor who has to heal people on the Lord's Day that week, you are providentially hindered. If you're a mother whose child is sick, you're providentially hindered. And if there is a global pandemic... And it's raging right now, and we don't know what's how to deal with it. Yeah, yeah you're providentially hindered. But there are things even that that aren't going to be uh, a season of time, uh, like requirements on churches, who sure. they will marry, who they will, um, you know, how who they will hire in ministry positions, how they will proclaim what they're about. But but these kind of things where there is pressure, and we have to be willing to say. We will obey God rather than man. And they don't say like Shadrach, Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, Rashak, and Benny. They don't say, yeah, even if God doesn't save us from your punishment, we still will not bend the knee. We won't compromise. But it's implied in the fact that they take off their robes and say, go to town. Yeah. 40, you know, lashes minus one, and we leave rejoicing. Yep. So you, you, the people who post the picture of the t-shirt all the time, I feel are probably the least likely to actually follow through on the uh, taking yeah. the punishment. Because if if a little bit of push or a little discomfort prompts you to play that card of I'm being persecuted, hmm. when true persecution comes, uh, I don't know, is, is that going to be, is that going to just short circuit your brain? <laughs> you <know>? Right. <laughs> well, and, and we talked a bit about it last week, but I mean, the difference in temperance between faithful and Christian in the face of all this where Christian initially wants to just purchase something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just give me one little thing that I can compromise on, and then and then I can show. Like an um, undercover cop, like getting permission to do like one bump of you know, sure. cocaine or something to show sure. that he's cool so that he'll buy in. Yeah. But he's not really going to do it, and he's right. not really... Right. I don't believe this thing, but I'll adopt this thing if it makes other people around me more comfortable. Or, and it's like, I don't know. Can I go super deep? in church history and semi-conspiracy stuff and the Shroud of Turin and the, yeah, okay. and the Knights Templar. Well, we're getting, into, we're getting into kind of... When, yeah, do when, it. when the Knights Templar were um, disbanded by the church and uh, I think it was Geoffrey de Charnay who was put to death, who was burned at the Seems stake. Like a polite way to <laughs> polite way to summarize what <laughs> right. happened. But yeah, when they were disbanded. The accusation that they, that they used to, to do away with them was that they had practiced spitting on an image of Christ, which some people think was the shroud, like they had the shroud, this is uh, part of the... Um, but spitting on an image of Christ, whatever it was, like outwardly reviling, mocking, and denying him while very consciously, inwardly adoring and loving and praising him so that they could like sneakily infiltrate groups or um, endure anything, you know. And, and the church said... You can't do that, man. If you're mm. if you're spitting on, a, on an image of Christ, if you're mocking his name, if you're reviling him outwardly before men, he will be ashamed of you when he comes with the Father. He'll be ashamed of you before before the Father. Uh, and I don't think the right way was probably to burn people at the stake, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Big swing and a miss. I'm not ever a big fan of that one. Yeah. Not even with Servetus. But uh, the the idea of, of that outward... I mean, that's kind of what... 
I remember, this is going to be funny to you. Remember, I remember very clearly mowing the lawn one day. That is funny to me. <laughs> As I was mowing the lawn, school was about to start. And I had like a couple friends who were like cool kids, newly, newly friends of mine. And thinking to myself, what if I kind of hold off on the Jesus stuff until I'm really in with these mm. guys? And I've got more friends that are, you know, what if I kind of like from within turn them all uh, into believers? Yeah, yeah. And then I kind of, you know, I, I don't talk about my faith or that I, you know, I'm going to youth group tonight or whatever. I just kind of put that on the back burner until I'm really in there, you know, like, like the undercover cop. And, and I think a 14 or 15 year old kid or whatever I was, 13, 14 year old kid, it's not a sign of uh, unbelief. Yeah, something. brewing apostasy yeah. or something. It's yeah. just stupid thought. It's immature thinking. But people hold on to this all the way into adulthood and to the end of their lives. Yeah. That kind of thinking always reminds me of like the technicality games that people play a lot with scripture, especially inside of like sexual purity right before marriage. You know, mm, right. what's the what's the technical line I can get right. to before I cross into sin? Yeah, with any sin, where, where, can, yeah. I, can I get my toe up to the line rather than, yeah. so, I don't want to be anywhere near the line. So, you know, how much can I not talk about Jesus? Yeah. To where I'm, I'm, I'm not glorifying him anymore, and I'm kind of playing this. I'm actually ashamed of him. Kind, of, like I'm playing Peter, right? Before I'm playing Peter, right? You know, you know, you know how like how many times can I deny him? Can I do two times? Was it the third time that really you know sealed everything together? Here's yeah. a question: Had he denied him seven times, seventy times, would Jesus uh, have still forgiven not him? Forget, right, likely. That's just always reminded me kind of, kind of these mental games that we'll all do mm -hmm. for a you know myriad of different sins, where we go, well, well, what's the t I mean, how how angry can I get? What's the amount of clothing on a woman that can be missing before it's disrespectful to my wife to look at these images how, or engage with the How media? much can I absorb myself into a game where sure. uh, it's a video game and I'm yeah. killing and, and yeah. stealing and things, but it's all not real before yeah. I'm you know taking the presence of Christ and dragging the spirit into this yeah. kind of wickedness. Yeah, and, and I'm not... I'm not giving the answer right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I would never it's... answer that for somebody. <clears throat> Pastor, how far can I go with X? Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be your <laughs> your safety net to sin. To yeah, sin a pope, little, right? I'm, 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 I'm gonna sit myself. I'll be your on... pope. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It's a position of covet. Yeah, kiss no, the you, ring. You know, I feel like with all the rings you wear, I, yeah, I should be kissing you your. No, I'm not doing it. All right. I don't know where those rings have been, other than down in, in like, grates, grates and stuff, yeah. The, the other reference here, it's a long one, we're not going to read the whole thing, but it's the whole uh, story of Stephen being seized and put on a kangaroo court trial. And it's interesting in that one that they were so careful not to kill Jesus without the rubber stamp from Rome. Yeah. Or the wax seal, more likely. The signet ring. Uh, but they have no issue in a rage just stoning Stephen to death in the moment. Yeah. Before this began, we did we did talk about kind of like the bloodless aspect yeah. in a lot of this, where the two narratives really do seem like one is more about getting rid of a political opponent. With a, a huge following that we're in, afraid of. Right. In a very cruel... Calculated way. Calculated way um, in the, you know, the dead of night um, while the man is praying, let's go do this act. Yeah, gosh, that's really... Yeah, it's just dark. I almost said it's dark, but obviously... Of course. Jesus says yeah, this is the yeah. hour when darkness reigns. So, yeah. yeah. Whereas to Stephen, it it comes across, I think, more of just a, a bubbling over, you see red, berserk mm -hmm. kind of... At, because, because he's in the m right middle of, of speaking. 
he's talking to these people and he is he is he is breaking down old testament truths yeah. and and it's much more akin to a lot of the persecution of the prophets you know where finally it bubbles over and then we just need to to end you and yet like at vanity fair yeah. it's organized enough that there's a coat check guy yeah so there is a sense of order and propriety to it. We did prop him up on a witness stand yeah. and act like this is... And, you know, Christians are always dealing with, with this and have been for all of church history, just like Jesus said, just like they killed the prophets, just like they kill me. Um, they are going to call evil good and good evil. Yeah. And then with that sliding scale on the books, they're going to hold you up to it. And they put me to death. Why would you think they won't put you to death? So they do, I mean, and they have they have witnesses. They call three witnesses up. Yeah. First guy's named Envy, and there's a little uh, footnote here, uh, Matthew 27, 18. This is when the crowd chooses Barabbas there, right? Um, he says, uh, Pilate says, uh, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. And so he's looking for an out. He doesn't actually want to put this innocent man uh, to death because he thinks it might be a tinderbox and reflect badly on him. And he's trying to play on this sense of envy. Envy comes right up as the first <laughs> the first guy, and then superstition, and then uh, he was called Pickthank in the original. Yeah. Um, you didn't think that would translate well? I, I had him called the notorious Pickthank at mm. one point. But to me, flatterer was yeah. a w- more well-known word. Right. A self-serving telltale is the... Uh, in brackets here in this in this text. I don't know about that. Um, but these guys are brought up, and, and they're going to be the best they can do. And you and I were talking about two aspects here. One, how this obviously is similar to Christ and on trial, where he had a lineup of, uh, you know, they had a few days. This opportune time came when they were, were prepared. Yeah. Same thing with Jesus. Uh, and the, the question I had for you is, how do you read it where... Several of these guys say, I've known him for years and years. I know this yeah. guy. And you said, well, they're just lying. Like Jesus, uh, they, they couldn't keep their story straight, these hired uh, yeah. witnesses against Jesus. And I said, yeah, I see that. But also at the same time, when Faithful defends himself, he points out even minutia of what they said that was wrong. But he never says, and I, I only met this guy like three days ago. So he's lying when he says we've known each other for years. And my thought was that maybe these guys aren't, people so much as concepts because it is an allegory and envy and superstition have been with this guy for for years as just something that lives in his in his chest i think it's probably both yeah i really do i think it really is um an example of this is how someone can twist biblical truth to make it look wicked or uh selfish or intolerant and at the same time it's also this guy having to contend with sins that have been with him yeah the main thing that Envy does say is that uh, this, these two men uh, have no regard either for prince or people, laws or custom. Rather, all they do is try to persuade the men of our town concerning subversive ideas, which in general, this man declares to be, quote, principles of faith and holiness. Hmm. Even saying that his Christianity and the customs of vanity are diametrically opposite and cannot be reconciled. How dare he do that? Hmm. Uh, and in Acts 16, 23, oh, I just thought of the funniest thing. What if I call you the Axe Man? Because you're looking everything up from the book of Acts. I pretended it was new. Did that help? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Acts 16, 20 to 21 um, is the, the footnote there, along with Acts 17, 7. I think both are, are good. 
And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So the appeal to um, cultural truth, accepted practice, the appeal to ethics. Yeah, yeah, some kind of cultural ethic. And you're saying that you insist on these other ways, this concept of holiness. I think, I think that's an interesting point because to mean other, you know, to mean, to mean, to mean something Separate, foreign. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm insisting on. I'm insisting on holiness. I'm not insisting on it for you. Yes. I'm I think Christian and Faithful me. both could have said, no, yeah. this, is a, this is a standard for me. Yes. And I never insisted that everyone here drop all of their yeah. heathenism because you, this is what I expect of you. Yeah. I pray that you'll find the right way. But the fact that accidentally they started like a countercultural movement within yeah. vanity means we have to do away with you. Yeah. And that will always be the case with the church as well. Because... If the church as long is as being it's pursuing faithful. holiness, as yeah. long as the church focuses primarily on being holy, on being on being less sinful and mm-hmm. more like Christ inside of His perfections, especially inside of His humanity and in what Adam was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, as long as as long as that's how the church is operating inside of a culture, it'll always be looked down on. It will always be other. It will always, you know, you know, be what it what it's designed to be. It'll always be Israel. Right in the midst of the pagan nations, mm-hmm. doing things Shining differently, and even things that really have don't make sense. You look at them and you go, "Oh, well, what sense is there in that?" You know, just to be different, just mm-hmm. to highlight yeah. the difference between my people and these other people. You can't mix fibers in your clothes. Okay. Yeah. Well, and then that that's yeah. lived out in a spiritual reality yeah. now. Which irks people a lot more. Like if oh, you yes. wear weird clothes, we'll just laugh at you. But if you you know have a different truth an actual truth that doesn't shift and change with every you know breeze blowing this way and that we don't like that and there's even you know sometimes it has to go further where the church really is the conscience of the 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 community when there's injustice at a high level looking back even at like say the the civil rights movement churches were burned down Mm. because they stood up and said no there's truth and we can't just pretend that because you've decided this is your quote-unquote truth lowercase t, this is your social, cultural ethic in this place and time, that yeah. it's okay because there's something higher. Yeah. And that can be true of any number of, of uh, issues and, um, you know, I don't want to get into the weeds on it. But. Well, it, it, I think I think you painted some very, very modern imagery of churches inside of this town. But it, I mean, they're allowed to exist there, right? Because it's water. It's going to morph to whatever, you know, bowl it's put into mm-hmm. in this kind of spineless jellyfish Christianity, you know, quote unquote Christianity, anything it's poured into any kind of secular culture, it's going to get poured into. It's just going to, oh, I'll just fill that. I'll just occupy whatever space you want me to occupy. Or maybe it's sand and yeah. the, because it, it, sand versus the rock, right. which is not going to yeah. change shape for you. But the shifting sand as your foundation, yeah. yet it's not going to stand either. The right, first breeze that right. comes is going to blow blow this yeah. thing over. Yeah, and we're always going to have to struggle with how can we be faithful without being Pharisaical and self righteous. And the church fails at that a lot. And we as individual I believers, that I a do. Lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where I let go, well, I'm not sinning like they're sinning. And it's like, well, of course not. I'm bought by the blood of Jesus, and I'm becoming a new creation. I shouldn't be. And I, what's more, I shouldn't be finding some some pride in that. It's so easy to be the Pharisee. Yeah. It's so easy to be the Pharisee, clapping my hands together in the temple. Here I am week after week coming to church. Well, thank God I'm not like these people. 
And I think the interesting part of that statement is, yeah, yeah, thank God you're not like right. that. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, he's, of course, looking at it as himself, something he's accomplished that he's not like the heathen. But we should be, no, no, really, thank God. Because well, he did it all. Ironically, that guy ought to have wanted to be like the yes. tax collector yeah, who yeah. was broken and, and dared not look to heaven and said, exactly. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So, you know, that that's where the we're not like these people needs to come from because I'm broken, because mm-hmm. because I'm meek, because because I uh, Jesus's example for what is kind of required to even begin the Christian journey inside of Beatitudes, that first concept of you need to be real about who you are, who you are before you take any other step. You need to be real inside your brokenness mm-hmm. and your fallenness and your humanity. That is a bag of you know blood and vomit in, in comparison to my humanity. A bag of blood and vomit. Yeah, you know, mixing the dog terminology, uh-huh. maybe in Peter, and then also... And add some scubula, too. Yeah. So, yeah, just a, a good mix of... <laughs> the Bible's gross sometimes. I have a, I have yeah. a book, it's part of this uh, 252 series for, for young boys, and it's just called yeah. Weird and Gross Stuff in the Bible, and it's classic. I Do love it. Do you flip it. through it every night? I flip through it probably at least twice a year. Yeah. And that whole series, I think, is very fun. Zondra Kids put it out, and yet here I am with my MDiv reading it and enjoying it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think the, but what you're talking about is a very real, and at the same time, we have that overcorrective that'll push us back into pride on the other direction, where it's, thank God I'm not like this Pharisee. Yeah. I'm down on my face, yeah. looking at these religious people going, oh, thank God I'm not like them. Well, okay, you're not in a better position. Yeah. Uh, you're just inhabiting a different physical space in this temple. The heart is what matters here. It's, yeah, yeah, some kind of recreation of the emergent movement or something like that, where if we just do something differently, if we don't look like the church has always looked, it's going to make us holier or something. And you go, no, that's at, also not true. At its start, <laughs> the emergent church was trying to look like how the church used to look in its ancient forms, sure. and then that fell away. But like, yeah, the idea of... You have to then paint the the church, capital C, historically as mm. Greco-Roman or, you know, somehow compromised and yeah. not the real. And we're the real Christians. There's a danger of that if you're Baptist. There's a danger of that if you're a Calvinist. There's a danger of that for almost every subsect, whether it's a formal denomination and group or yeah. it's a loose kind of, I'm, I'm just a New Testament Christian. All of those things are... My creed's the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. Saying no creed but Christ is uh, a creed. Just yeah. a bad one. Yeah. yeah. X 17.7 is just a reference to, uh, instead of things that Romans uh, are not allowed to do, rather uh, things that go against like the rule of Caesar. Uh, so just appeals to time and place regulation, mores, etc. This is more popular now than it ever has been in my life. When I think back to like the time before I was alive, the 50s or 60s, the 50s, Red Scare, right? There's this sense of, it's not written anywhere, but we all know if you're one of those people, you're bad and you'll be shunned. Hmm. And it's just an appeal to like being part of the group and being a faithful member of the group. And I'm not going to stray off into these communist values or go see movies made by blacklisted people or something. And, and we look back at McCarthyism and go, oh, that's weird. I feel like we've surpassed that today, just on the other side of the spectrum, where hmm. it's not written anywhere. But if you are this backwards antique of a uh, biblical Christian, we're we're not going to tolerate that. And mm. it, it, increasingly, it probably is written places. I well, mean, I, can say, I can think of a couple. Nuts, I, I can think of a couple websites that it's written on every day, <laughs> so <laughs> repeatedly, <laughs> ad nauseum. Next next witness comes up as superstition. 
Uh, he comes in and says, he admits, I have no great acquaintance with this man, nor do I want to. <laughs> However, I do know he's a very pestilent fellow. And the reference there is Acts 24.5. I mean, he's a troublesome uh, kind of a... Uh, and he's an instigator. <laughs> For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Oh, buddy. Ringleader. That would be the most amazing tattoo. Ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Yeah. Well, it's it's so... I've been rereading some of the first iterations of the Punisher comics. Ooh, nice. And and when you go to like the crime family names and things like that, they take up like an entire panel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this guy who's like the semi-don boss of the Falcano uh-huh. crime family. And it was like, wow, that doesn't even sound cool anymore. That's that's <laughs> such a sounds like a corporate title. Yeah, yeah. Put on a business card. It's, it's about, it's, this this kind of ring. I mean, that term alone, to me, I don't know, already already kind of makes you seem like a... Like, when I think of a ringleader, I, I automatically think of, like, a snake oil salesman or something like that, or some kind of, like, slippery... Huh. Slippery individual. And I know it's not actually a ringleader, but it's but applied that's just, that way by the by his enemies, which is why it's kind of cool, I think, to own it. Yeah. Like, the word Christian itself was originally, sure. and, and Lutheran, and a lot of these things that were originally, like, a, a mockery, yeah. and then you own it, and you turn around and say, yeah, that is what I am. But, yeah. Or... or Elijah, you're a troubler of Israel. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Israel needs to be troubled right now. Yeah. <laughs> Punishment's coming. <laughs> well, but it's also interesting that he admits to not knowing him. Right. Oh, I don't know this guy. But I can tell what he is. from. But, yeah, but, yeah, but I know. I know who he is. I know his type. Yeah, it's a really... And, and, if, and it, reeks of, it reeks of how most people operate i think in everyday life you see you see a short snippet of what someone thinks categorize or, them in your mind right and then yeah. you slap them into some kind of tribe and you say okay well this is why this person has nothing profitable i'm guilty <clears throat> of that all the time sure and i have to, I, i'm so thankful that i have people in in my life both people i know personally and people who i like to read and i and i you know really look up to as kind yeah. of heroes who challenge that by saying, look, this is where somebody who you would have filed away somewhere else has said something profitable or written something profitable or been uh, exemplar of things that we hold up. And it reminds you, yeah, that's that's not a, a really discerning, wise way to, to deal with people. That's how the Pharisees did, right? Yeah. You, who are your, your uh, disciples, Jesus? Tax collectors, whores, drunks, uh, unclean people, beggars. No, nobody we care about. No, nobody who's the people we're doing nothing for, and the people who are doing nothing for you. us. Yeah, you know. yeah. That, and that's why we're doing nothing for them is because yeah. you know they don't invite us to banquets. Yeah, they don't do anything for our credit. You know, mm. they don't make my life any better. And I think that goes right into the next, uh, the final witness, which is flatterer or pickthank. He gets up there and he says, "Listen, this guy, he has trash talked and railed against all of our favorite nobility." And here's the list. <laughs> the Lord Old Man. What if it's related to Gary Oldman? The Lord Carnal Delight. The Lord Luxurious. The Lord Desire of Vainglory. My Old Lord Lechery. <laughs> and Sir Having Greed. Uh, that's, that's the name of these guys that uh, he has apparently been talking trash about. And even their great prince Beelzebub. Hmm. As far as he's concerned, none of them should be considered nobility at all. Here's my question for you. If these sins are pictured here as lords. 
Should we see this as like principalities in like a Pentecostal, third wave Pentecostal, <laughs> like Frank Peretti kind of way? These are like demons that are uh, representing sins and we have to call up by name and, and cast out of our lives. That seems a little extreme. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But this that, is the first that, thing I thought because I've sure. read so many of those books, um, it's, it's like sure. the, the novels and the supernatural thrillers and stuff. So sad because so much of that stuff is like so fun to read. Yeah. If and only then, people could see it for what it is. And then you see the the wave that comes in and has an inability to separate fiction from... They better never read The Pilgrim's Progress or they're going to be out Ooh, stabbing people. This going to be crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's going to get wild in those. Honestly, I feel like something like... Huh. Um, a, a book like The Oath by yeah. Frank Peretti yeah. is valuable exactly in the same way. Not as valuable, not not the same level of, of you know being used by God and stuff, but it's a great book and it's valuable in the same way as this, where it's illustrating truths in a world we know, but not necessarily in a way to be emulated. Well, it's, it's also emulating these exact truths, especially The Oath, right? Mm. If this be to, sin, then sin be served. To be, to be, uh, spoiler... In case you're going to read The Oath. You should. But if yeah, you haven't you in the last 30 years, it's on you. So there's this unspoken creature that we all kind of generally know exists. You know, we all have black ooze that mm. appears on our bodies. Mm-hmm. But we don't acknowledge it? We don't acknowledge it. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about any of these sins, about any of these problems. We all have our ethic. And, our, and, and it takes someone else coming in. From the outside, right? I think he's looking for his brother or something yeah. like that, right? And he's armed to the teeth. He's oh, like, what a great yeah, book. He I love that book. Comes in and and what's interesting in that book is right. I mean, the town, you know, the town even temporarily changes him, right? Mm-hmm. He yeah. ends up giving into like sexual temptation throughout yeah. the book and things like that. Is, is that you see that you see this one way ethic of this group of people saying we're not going to talk about this creature out there who murders our friends and our family and our this and our that. It's the same thing with sin. We're not going to talk about the sin, right? All those people in Vanity Fair, you're like, we're not, we're not going to talk about atrocities and bloodlust and the fact that we kill person after person after person after person who comes in and, 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 and you know, we have little kids in cages and these different things. You know, we're not going to talk about it. We're going to ignore it. We're going to, we're going to not fixate on it. We're going to, we're going to play my whistle. Right, right. I'm going to, I'm going to try and adopt some vice that allows me to escape from it. It's going to be gambling or drinking or prostitution or, or whatever, or just, or just laziness or talkative. I'm just going to talk. So, so I don't have to deal with these real things. That book and what we're dealing with are the, the, the exact same thing. Just, 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 just Christianity coming into a fallen world and seeing how they cannot exist together. It's, the, the, it's a war. It's Israel going into Canaan. Absolutely. And I, I believe that the, the biggest problem in the church today is maybe even unspoken, wanting to be um, at peace where there should be war, spiritual war, wanting to be at peace with the world and its system and its values, wanting to be at peace with the flesh mm-hmm. and saying, oh, if this stuff's inside of us, it must be good. God must have put it there. Mm-hmm. Even though the Bible talks about putting the flesh to death every other page, yeah. wanting to be at, at like faithful, upstanding, members in good standing of Vanity Fair. While also saying, but I'm, I'm also a Christian. Yeah. And, you know, like... I, why did I get so excited when Eminem came out with a Christian song recently? Part Partly because, is God working in this guy? Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing ever? This guy who is always about carnality and, you know, all sorts of filth and stuff, but is very, very, very talented. It'd be a huge get for God. And I think it would be hmm. really cool how many people might go, huh, I'll look into that. Sure. Part of it's also, 
that I like the idea of, oh, he might be with us. That means, you know, like... like, like Some kind of label, right? Some kind of teacher you can, you can it, attach to it. It almost kind of, like, legitimizes our mm. view uh, of things when the world's favorite people t- dabble in it. That's fascinating. And what's sad is that, first of all, that's wrong. We shouldn't yeah. be looking to new converts to be teachers and leaders in the church because it's not good for the people following and it's not good for the leader. And we've seen it time and time again. Time and time fail. again. They just they just get knocked off that pedestal. If only the church could figure out how to say, okay, keep doing what you do and doing it well. You don't have to be a leader in our movement right now. And the second they fall from the pedestal, we the church turn turns turn on, on them. We knew they were a really b- believer. Rips them to pieces. Oh, that's and so then sad. you go... You know, you know, mistakes that new believers are going to make because mm-hmm. that's what you do. That's what it is. We are, we're still attached to our flesh here. The whole point yeah. of the church is that when they fall, we help them up. Yes. Not we kick them as hard as we can and and, yeah. and say that we knew that they were. But you have really... to kick them so hard because you put them on such a high pedestal. So you look like a fool and you feel like a fool when they fall. Exactly. Yeah. And I've been guilty of all of that. Mm. Uh, I think it's been in the last 10 years I've seen the pattern play out enough times yeah. where I've been able to kind of divorce myself from it. That's an interesting thought. And, and I don't know if this is, you know, or this is, this hasn't been the same person talking to themselves in case anyone wonders. This is two different people. We are different people. <laughs> um, Tyler Durden. I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of like on the opposite end of that. I like kind of the pushing effect the gospel has on a lot of stuff. The, 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 the kind of expulsion of the world, kind of, kind of the anti countercultural, anti world aspects of the gospel have always been oh, very, too. very attractive to me. At the same so time, when I see, so, so like when I see people like, like publicly, especially individuals, you know, you know, like, 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 like there's been, there's been the, the Kanye, or the Kanye West that, yeah. thing, or these different individuals where like it doesn't excite me. At least in that, like, I've never felt like I needed a champion. You know, mm-hmm. I need I need someone to stand up and, and champion a cause, and and you know, you know, they need to be in this kind of like silver, silver light or, the, or this red carpet kind of concept, and that some way like legitimizes the fact that a lot of them don't believe it. For me, at least, kind of already legitimizes. Right. It. Yeah. The fact that you know, that the world and its vanity chasing after the wind has no use for our worldview. And what's funny is at the same time as as uh, you know understanding at least how people get really excited about yeah, someone yeah. celebrated by the world, an athlete, a musician, an actor, whatever, coming to yeah. faith or maybe coming to faith. At the same time, when like one of our people starts to get popular with the world, yeah, I get like jealous Nervous. and annoyed and uh, weirded out. I'm like, wait, what do you, you don't get them. They're, <laughs> you get everybody else. That's ours. So like the, the idea of like having this kind of holiness, this separation hmm. of our little, and probably both of those are not rooted in a good picture of holiness, like us separate from the world in that we are uh, in the world, but not part of it, not bought into it. Uh, rather, it's probably rooted in envy that you have this people and we don't, and uh, a sense of jealous ownership of we should have these people. So when Flatterer gets done, the judge, sweet guy that he is, <laughs> he wants to make sure that he understands the, the charges against him. Yeah. Faithful does. And over the course of this, it's just kind of randomly gone from, and this is part of the genius of this scene. This scene is the best written part of the whole Pilgrim's Progress, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Bunyan was on fire this the day he wrote this. But it just starts with these two guys on trial, and the fact that Faithful answers first, he becomes 
like, like they all zoom in on him. The laser pointers on this guy now. Yeah. And so faithful himself says, may I speak a few words in my own defense? I think faithful recognizes that the shift has happened and he leans into it to save Christian. He's going to protect his friends. He's going to die for Christ and for Christian. Yeah. What an amazing character and what an amazing journey for this guy. It's similar to what they do with Stephen, right? You know, they, you know, they take him and they remove him from where he is and they pull him out to someplace else. You know, it, it's, it's, it's not like Stephen was the only person in that area to believe this. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, he, he wasn't the only follower of Christ, but, you know, he was the one being vocal. He was the one that the attention was on in that moment because it, it states right in the very beginning that he was doing great works and he was teaching greatly. And, and, and he, he becomes that fixated point of attack for all of these people. And then, and then that's kind of what, you know, satiates their bloodlust in that moment is going after this one person. That's exactly what happens here. I think it's in Ephesus where they go to grab Paul and they, all they can find is Jason, uh, who's like Paul's uh, contact in that city and a, a leader. And they're like, eh, he'll do. Right? Yeah. I mean, we, we, we'll, and, and Paul wants to go and, and they're all trying to hold him back. Like, don't go, don't go. They'll kill you. And, and you know, we, we wanted him, but we'll take you. Anybody to kind of be the whipping boy for the conviction we feel inside about ourselves. We want to... We've got to unload it somewhere. We'll either unload it on Christian and faithful or just faithful or just we'll save Christian for later if we can, whatever, you know. And, and yeah, you and I were talking about how eerie it is that uh, they they kill this guy. And then, you know, it's it's left very vague at the end after very, very specific action and yeah. words in, in the trial. It's left very vague that the one who overrules, you know, all things worked it out essentially so that Christian could leave. He leaves. And it yeah. almost sounds like maybe they were, I don't think they were horrified with themselves, but like they got to the end of this. I think they were and, satisfied with themselves. Yeah, they were satisfied in the flesh. Okay, we killed this guy. Yeah. Good enough. It, it, it's that moment of release. You get that release from that large dopamine explosion that goes off in your brain. Um, I've, I've accomplished something. And then they kind of let him go. Primarily what I read for fun is horror. And I can think of examples where oftentimes the key to horror is not saying things. You know, I leaving you were a something. Christian. You're reading a horror, <laughs> right? <laughs> See your published works. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of the times, uh, a really strong key is to not say something, is to just let something kind of just taper out. This is really popular in movies too. If you kill all the friends in really, really brutal ways, and then one person just gets let go, like they just have to live with it. Yeah, and, and tell the story, it, and they thought about it, and they just have to live in it. Um, and 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 how sometimes that's. That itself is its own kind of, you know, horror. And, you know, here, to witness your friend, you know, this person that you've so closely clung to. And thank God it was faithful, first of all. That's what, that's what I initially wanted to say, was I'm very thankful it was faithful and not Christian, because Christian was not ready. Mm-hmm, right. He's so bothered by everything that happens around him that, you know, faithful just seems like he's just going to step up and he's going to do it. I'm ready to die. He's going he's gonna to take time to resist his captors, hug him. I've accepted this. It's okay. I'm I'll ready to die. see you in the city. Yeah. I'm ready and you're not. And I think it's obvious in this moment. But, um, but you know, what they do with Christian is they just ignore him. They've been, they've been satiated for their bloodlust for, you know, Christ's blood. This kind of shared blood with faithful. I have all I need. I've killed you. I've slayed you. I've worked out that hatred I have for God on one of his chosen and that feels good for a moment maybe i can go squanter off and have a drink or take a nap 
I do think and they were keeping Christian for later, though. For, oh, yeah. For to build back yeah. up. It, this is what it says. As for Christian, he had some relief in the midst of this agonizing situation in his being remanded back to prison. Mm -hmm. So there he remained for a period of time. Nevertheless, he that overrules all things, having the power of their rage in the palm of his hand... Yeah. Uh, Psalm 76.10, ordered events in such a way that Christian was enabled on that occasion to escape from the town mm -hmm. and continue on his way. Um, they, they were letting they him come back live, to yeah, for sure. Yeah, but they don't seem to be worried about killing him right then. They don't even give him his trial right then, right? Unless right. They, try, they, they, they just try one guy, kill that one guy, and then seemingly just go, oh, you know what? Good enough. Yeah. Why even bring... They go back to the fair. Yeah. Why even bring... Christian in the first place. Because they didn't know what they were going to do. Because they I didn't think. know what they yeah. were going to do. They, they, they got worked up into a lather and they killed a guy, giving him just the, the stampiest of all trials. Well, you know, they better forget to even swear him in and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That was really clever. Yeah, uh, Bunyan, Bunyan's writing here is so good. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's interesting to see you as an author evaluate other authors, just because I don't, I, don't, I don't have a mind for it. But it's interesting, too, to think that Shakespeare has written quite recently uh, uh, yeah. when he's writing. Sure. And so, you know, this isn't like everything is novicey at yeah. this point. He, he's, he's in the, the company of giants when he's putting out fiction at this point. But this is a, a beautiful spot. And when you mention, you know, like the, the scant uh, defense he's allowed, uh, he's it, it, very reminiscent of Acts 22 when Paul says to the centurion, listen, I need to be able to say something to these people when he's arrested in the temple. I, I should be able to get a few words to say. Uh, and, you know, read, read Acts 22 in its entirety, and, you know, it, it spills on into the next chapter, and it starts a little before it. But he basically ends with, may God have mercy on me, because I know for a fact you won't. Yep. And they don't. Yeah. He, he does have his sort of, uh, I appeal to Caesar moment, you know, Acts 25, I appeal to Caesar, um, when he says, you know, I, I said that, a lot of this stuff you believe is incorrect because it is. And if you can prove to me that it's not, I'll recant. Very Martin Luthery. Uh, and the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and this sort of thing. But he doesn't. He doesn't plant his flag there. I defy you. He says, "Yeah, you're not going to have mercy on me, but I know who will. He already has." And I'm in his hands. Another reference here uh, in the footnote is attached to when he says, Gentlemen of the jury, you see this man who has been the center of a violent controversy in this town. And it calls back to great is Artemis of the Ephesians, Acts 19. So this is essentially every big blow up in the book of Acts hmm. summarized in one event. And it's very masterfully done. One thing I wanted to ask you about is a unusual guy named Barry Horner, uh, who's a, a bit of a scholar on this stuff. I say unusual because usually people who are really into this are going to be incredibly rooted in a Puritan approach to most loci of theology. So they're going to be amillennial. They're going to be you know Calvinistic in their soteriology, etc. Whereas he's written books about... Uh, more recent developments in theology. Yes. More recent developments in theology rooted in more recent uh, geopolitical developments in the Middle East. But when he's writing on and, and commenting on Pilgrim's Progress... It's astute. It is, I mean, it's good stuff. It's a book for everyone. And what he uh, mentions here in this footnote, 358, this is the Puritan regulative principle concerning right worship. If you don't know, there's there's uh, two views uh, within kind of a, a broader Reformed understanding of the church. Regulative principle of worship means if it's not specifically commanded in Scripture, you don't do it. 
and it often means just singing psalms and not any uh, you know other hymns and songs and things. Uh, even though psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are, are commanded. Uh, and then there's the normative principle that says if it's not condemned, and usually the regulative principle of worship is going to point back to, for example, Nadab and Abihu who offer strange fire and they're burned up. Um, Korah's rebellion, where they're trying to come in and say, let's just let us do some of the deciding and and instead of listening to the priesthood. Uh, and again and again in the Old Testament, it doesn't work out if you get creative in worship. Uh, and I think being cute and creative is something we want to be very careful with, even in New Testament worship. But here's the, the line from A Pilgrim's Progress, where he thinks he sees the Puritan regulative principle. Second, as to the charge that Mr. Superstition brought against me, I can only say this, that in the true worship of God, a divine faith is required. But there can be no divine faith without, without a divine revelation of the will of God. Therefore, whatever is employed in the worship of God that is not in agreement with divine revelation cannot be sourced in anything else than human faith, which faith will not result in eternal life. Mm-hmm. I do not see elements of worship being singled out here. Like, they did a liturgical dance in Vanity Fair when they were supposed to just be preaching and singing the Psalms and, and uh, having the Lord's Supper. Rather, I see doctrine that's rooted in humanism and uh, human revelation rather than divine revelation, which is which is no revelation at all, being being called out. What do you think you see here? I mean, he highlights right true worship of God. A divine faith is required. Uh, but there can be no divine faith without a divine revelation of the will of God. So, like, if the will of God being highlighted there is elements of... Salvific. Yeah. So, right, right. Well, the, the salvific, if that's where you're taking it, or if you're taking the will of God as if just talking about how he will be worshipped, you know, if that's how you're interpreting what's being said, that's the will of God being poured out right now is not necessarily the entirety of the will of God um, for everything, but just primarily about how he will be worshipped then, I mean, yeah, that'd be the regulated principle of worship, right? It, it's, it, it's specifically the verses that we would go to that, that say God will be worshipped in a certain way. Now, my understanding of the regulated principle of worship, at least how the Puritans would take it um, or kind of understand it, I think the mistake there is that a lot of the things that Israel doesn't get right inside of their worship, yes, primarily is because they're not doing what they're told. God tells them to do something and they don't do it. You don't need to understand why. It's just you're told to do something and you don't do it and you get punished for it. But it's also because they're living, right, with no mediator and God is present with them inside of these moments. He's saying, I am here and I expect holiness and perfection inside of my people. So, you know, like elements of our worship need to be, I don't want to say more correct, but when Jesus comes and he kind of heralded this, this, this concept of worship taking place in all places. In spirit and in, in truth. In spirit and in yeah. truth. Um, I, think that, I think that the direction inside of our worship changes. Not that it's not heading towards God, but that it's slightly broader. Because, because the woman's question is primarily about Locale. where's the right mm-hmm. location. And that would definitely be something that falls into the regulative principle. And if, if you're in the right sanctuary, exactly, in the right holy place. You're not worshiping regulatively. They you had know. a temple there on Mount Gerizim, mm-hmm. but the Jews had destroyed it a hundred years earlier. But yeah. I mean, that was an old. I mean, that's which one is the right one? Where yeah. do I go to, to find God? Sure. And Jesus says, "Spirit and in truth is where you go to find God." But but one group has it right, and you have it wrong. Now I mean it, that's just that's just fact. 
the, but yeah, dealing with in this, the old covenant, now, yeah. right? But but now that I've come, this is the mm-hmm. reality. So I'm like, I'm going to fix the fact that you were wrong. There was a regulated principle there, where you know, here it is. This is where you were told to worship, and this is not. This is how you were told to worship, and this is not. And then Jesus claims to come and apply. Now, now I brought upon a time spirit, truth in all places, just like with the dietary concepts. Uh, uh, it, it, parts of worship change. How we worship might change. So. If he is taking like a Puritan concept here, I, I I think they probably got it wrong. And worship is culturally informed, 100%. Uh, and I don't think that's going to be people, a bad thing. People pretend that it's not, though. And I think that's the problem. I think that people, people like to pretend that their upbringing and things haven't impacted the kind of music that they enjoy mm-hmm. or the kind of church liturgy that they tend to fall into, where you're not being honest with what it is to kind of be human in a lot of ways where you are impacted by these surrounding factors. We're going to have fewer listeners after this episode. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, because we've also had other discussions about this where I'd say that I'd much rather err on the side of regulated principle than I think let's stumble around in the dark and like find it as we go. Truth means something. The statement spirit and truth means something. Right. Yeah. So truth spirit and truth doesn't something. mean all bets are off. Yes. Right. Yeah. Here's the thing about the normative principle. Mm-hmm. It says... There are commands about mm-hmm. how we should worship. Where they are, you obey those commands. Yeah. So it tells you what to do. It yeah. just doesn't say, never do anything else in the course of worship, here or there. Never do anything uh, other than the way that you were raised. I think when you read Luther or, or Kelvin on the marks of the church, and you look and you check their work, and you go back and read the texts, you find that these things are the preaching of the word faithfully, the administering of the sacraments faithfully, you know, church discipline, and, and usually what we mean by that is there's there's elders and deacons and, and you know some kind of uh, structure in place, um, and it, yeah, we, you've got this this basic skeleton. Mm. And just like everyone has, you know, pretty much the same skeleton walking around, but there's different kinds of stuff on top of the skeleton. The fle- it's fleshed out differently. Mm. If I'm in Papua New Guinea or Crown Heights or, you know, Manitoba, I'm not going to expect to see exactly the same kind of worship. Well, or if, if I'm in, in one of the four different worship services that we have here, right? I yeah. don't think you know, you know, from you know, from different cultures. If we, you know, if you decided to take the week off and you know, head down to the Swahili worship service, uh, and let's just pretend you you spoke and sang perfect Pen, Swahili, means nothing to me. <laughs> Might as well be Greek. <laughs> um, but but yeah. As long as what's being said is true. Right. And we're focusing on Christ and focusing yes. on the right things. Yeah. Then then how it's being expressed, the instruments used. This is a lot of what we talk about inside the regular principle. And I think it typically yeah. boils down to the kind of music that gets used. You will have people that will argue only for you know, psalms, only for hymns. Can you have contemporary or can't you? Or can you have a guitar? Should only be an organ? Or if we go back to like reform reformers, right? We go, no instruments at all. Earliest uh, Baptists said no singing, no reading, not even from the Bible and no singing. You know, right. so, there, so there's a lot of weird uh, fringe views on it. At the same time, you can go to the other extreme and say, well, hey, most of your people at church aren't listening to organ music when mm. they're in their cars. They're listening to whatever. They're, if you're here, that's country. If you're here, it's hip hop. If you're here, it's rock and rock and roll. No, it says rock and roll. I'm a thousand years old. But um, <laughs> so that's what we have to do here. No, 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 no. You're going into another kingdom now. Yeah. So you shouldn't. People 
off the street who are unregenerate, who aren't part of that kingdom, should feel a little bit like this is foreign ground, but that they're welcomed here mm. and that they can belong here and that they're invited to belong here. Yeah, It's the kind of thing where I would never bind, certainly would never bind the conscience of another Christian church over these matters. Yeah. You're, if you're regulative principle and you're convinced from scripture, hold tight to that and don't let me, you're not going to, but don't let me yeah. make you doubt it. Yeah. Well, because because I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with it. No, saying that saying I think it's that, a safety net against a exactly, lot of stuff. Honestly, exactly. It's it's the exact same reason that I'd be really, really, really um, hesitant to leave historic creeds. There are portions of historic creeds that I'd look at. And I'd you mean say, confessions? Confessions, right? Where I I would I would I would say mm, I think you missed the mark on that. I don't think that that's true, or the way that that's implemented. Just, just isn't our time. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, it, 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 yeah. A, a creed is for all time. Like a confession is a time and place anchor, a, a, a stake in the ground. Or it hasn't gone far enough because you didn't feel like you needed to say certain things right. that now have to be said mm-hmm. because of the culture that we're living in. So, you know, we need to modernize it. But even that, Part of me gets really squeamish about, and I go, I don't know. These are these are these are important stakes in the ground for a reason. But it's crazy. You think the people who wrote those, the divines, quote unquote, who wrote mm-hmm. the Westminster and and the sure. um, the guys sitting in the desks behind them who copied it and turned it into the sixteen eighty nine Baptist Confession. Yeah, well, they improved it. They were just yeah. guys. They were yeah. just guys like us. Yeah. So I mean, if if scholars of today and and gifted faithful pastors say we're going to add some things that address controversies and issues in the church today, mm-hmm. I don't see that flying in the face of the principles faithful and Christian are, are appealing yeah. to here at yeah. all. Yeah, yeah. I guess to have my final word on it, worship how you want as long as it's in spirit and truth. Yeah. As long as it's as long as it has Christ at the center of everything. He's in the center of scripture. He's in the center of the songs that we sing. He's at the center of our Lord's you know, supper. As long as what we're doing exists to magnify Jesus Christ, right. then then you're probably you're probably okay. And it's not there to be a quote unquote worship experience where right. you are now the consumer yes. and the main thing. Yeah. So you walk away going, ah, I felt really good. Rather so that whether you go walk away going, wow, that was a wonderful time of worship, or huh, it was kind of dead today, Christ has been lifted up and you've Yeah. You've been yeah. faithful in that. The the I'm David kind of scenario where it's no, you're not David. Jesus is David. Right. Jesus is David slaying Goliath. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is... You're David's brother saying, you're not the guy we wanted. So now Lord Hategood gives it instructions. Uh, he wants everything to be above board. And according to Hoyle here, so he gives sure. the instructions to the uh, jury and he reminds them of some laws. Here, and and the, from Exodus 1, Daniel 3, and Daniel 6, uh, the laws passed by a great pharaoh who said, we, we can't afford to have too many people of the wrong religion. Got to throw them in the river. Uh, the one of great Nebuchadnezzar, uh, another servant of our prince who said, throw these guys, uh, in the furnace if they, if they don't worship our statue. And in another one for a time, Darius said, if anyone for this week worships or prays to any other God, but me, we got to throw them in the lion's den. And he says to these guys, I'm going to call on each of you. And this was my addition because I thought it fit this world and the unique situation people are in today. Where instead of having you go off and decide on your own and then come back, yeah, uh, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and call on you each of you, and there's gonna be a record of it so that later we can use it to cancel you. Yeah, <laughs> very uh, timely. And yeah. all of them say guilty, mm-hmm. guilty all the way around. And 
he determines, just like we see in uh, Acts 22, 22, let us be rid of such a fellow from the face of the earth. They all want to get rid of him. And so it's determined it's just way, way too good for him to just be hung. Mm. He will have to be, and then not hung, drawn, and quartered, none of that. We're going to just like play it by ear. Mm. We're going to stick him with our swords. We're going to flay his flesh with knives. We're going to beat him. We're going to stone him. But that's not even in the end. Eventually, we're going to burn him at the stake. Yeah. And as he's being burned at the stake, he goes into this chariot of fire and is taken away in glory. But only Christian sees that he won in the end. Mm. And that's got to be frustrating. These guys don't see that they lost and that faithful won. They just see the smoldering corpse. They don't see the glory that takes place. Obviously, this is uh, a reference back to Second uh, Kings 2 and the taking of Elijah up into heaven uh, with a fiery horse and, and chariot and things. One of my favorite passages, one of my favorite arcs in all of the Old Testament, Elijah mm-hmm. and then into Elijah. Just amazing stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think when we talk about sin, though, you do talk about rose-colored glasses that are, that are going to obscure reality and what's actually happening. I feel like the sinful legion will always kind of feel that it's victorious. It's won. Mm-hmm. It shuts you up. It's, you know, defeated Christ. It's silenced you. It's always going to feel like Satan for three days. Right. You know, accomplished, done, did it. Um, yeah, he's the one who can say it is finished. Yeah, sure. Yeah, where that's just going to be the reality on that side of repentance, not realizing that they played right into... Yeah. All of the promises made inside of Christianity, and in fact, what you've done for this person is you've offered them a little bump of pain for eternal glory. They've done for you a great thing in doing an evil thing, and they've cast judgment upon themselves. It is frustrating in that way, but I think, I think, I think if you look historically, it's also kind of frustrating for the pagan nation too, because it's never worked. It's never actually stomped out or crushed out Christianity in these ways. And in these early Roman letters, you see the frustration. The frustration. Why can't, Absolutely. Why can't they see? Why are they singing? Well, we send them to their death. I hate this. Why are they still feeding our poor? Why yes. are they still doing these things? You know, this doesn't... And, 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 and as, as they we... They pray for us in their church services. As we come to get them, we find them praying for us. We, you know, we ramp up the persecution and their numbers grow. Mm-hmm. This wasn't something that you were going to be able to stomp out or something. Like pouring gasoline on a fire to try and put it out. Water Absolutely. on Greek fire or something yeah, like that. Yeah, right. It's just, it's just gonna, it's gonna, you know. By the way, so. uh, Sagacity has reverse engineered the recipe for Greek fire, if you're interested. That's on the Patreon page. <laughs> Be responsible with it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... A theist cookbook. <laughs> and, you know, in the last few years, I keep reading that the old historical maxim of the blood of the martyrs, the seeds of the church, sure. where there's persecution, there's you know, going to be a growth uh, explosion, like from the very beginning. Stephen is stoned. Everyone's like, we got to get out of Dodge. And in leaving, they bring the gospel like yeah. dandelion seeds everywhere in the wind. And suddenly the church is a bigger problem than ever before for the world, for, for Rome, etc. And... Oh, no, no, that's not how it works at all. Here's mm. example after example of, and they have two or three examples to trot out where, like, literally a very small community was literally wiped out and everyone killed. And say, see, that's what happens. That's just common sense. Whereas there are hundreds and thousands of examples where the opposite happened, where mm. the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. And it happens even in vanity. Yeah, This group of people who was put in the stock's because they backed up these... It's not the end of it for them. They don't go, well, that was a mistake. No. 
faith has started to spark now, and there's going to be revival yeah. in the town of Vanity, which is bonkers. And, of course, we see then at the end that even uh, this guy who mocked them as they arrived, uh, hopeful, is now going to leave with Christian. He's come to faith. And, of yeah. course, next week we'll see lots more of how that happened uh, because we're going to mine these conversations between hopeful and Christian and try and put together exactly how it worked out uh, between faithful and, and hopeful. I think that's I think it's really well expressed inside, like, the Elliot story. You know, all of this inside of church history kind of got really expressed out the Elliot story. A guy going, being speared to death. Oh, I thought you meant E.T. E. for a minute. No, Elliot. no, You're no, talking no. about Jim Elliot. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Wazoni Indians. Yeah. Rachel Saint. Uh, yeah. Well, not, not initially. Uh, Jim Elliot, Nate Saint, and these other guys. Yeah, well, you know, you go over to spread the gospel. You have no success. They kill you. Um, as you're dying, success. as you're dying, you see, if you read the accounts, what the Indians said that they were experiencing was they were talking and they were looking out into the sky and they were Why seeing would they things. Lie? Why would they lie? And then Elizabeth goes back to that same people. And Rachel Saints and, and their, their son. Yeah. Whoa. And those people come to Christ. Here's a great example of the blood of martyrs and this, this, this kind of lost imagery of them seeing it and others not. Yeah. But then eventually they do. But now so it's frustrating it. in the moment. Yeah. Why did, you know, um, there was apparently, and this may be apocryphal, but a, a um, sermon illustration says that, that there was actually a newspaper headline in the area that said, why this waste? And it had a picture of these young promising people, uh, you know, smiling and then these people all killed mm. because they went into and tying that to Judas, seeing the breaking of the, the, jar of nard and pouring it on Jesus' feet and saying, why this waste? We could have wow. sold that and given it to the poor. You don't, he, he didn't see the value of it, and the world doesn't see the value of it. That guy recently, who just got in his rowboat... Everyone wants to make fun of him, and this and that. And that, I wish I had... away a, what he couldn't keep. 1% of that yeah. guy's, or 1% of 1% of that guy's faith and commitment to Christ. Amazing. Yeah. And so he, he does write another song about faithful and, and how though he was killed, yet he is alive. The reference there being Revelation 14, 13, which earlier this week uh, at a committal, I, at every funeral in the committal, I always read that. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. They will rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Uh, there's hope beyond this life for mm. a believer. And that is something that no one else can say. The, the, the best they can say is, hey, isn't it beautiful that you become stardust? Our only hope is beyond this life, right? You know, you know that's that's where that's where we're, that's where we're picking up, selling all of our belongings, and putting all of our marbles. Presumably, is on the opposite side of life. Uh, well, so. Except Jesus even says those who leave uh, husbands, wives, mm -hmm. fields, etc., will receive uh, many yeah. times over, both in this life and the life to come. I mean, there is in this life. The, the feasts at the Palace Beautiful. Sure. But they're just foretastes. And that's what the world can't yeah. say. The world can, can say, this is as good as it gets. This is it. This is your best life now. Mm -hmm. And if you're living your best life now, you're going to hell yeah. because you have worse life later. We can say whenever there's a... A, it's a grace whenever there's a wonderful thing dropped in our lap. Uh, a family outing, a, a transcendent church service, a hilarious sitcom, whatever it is that you enjoy, it's it's a great gift, but anything good we have now is just a little foretaste of the far better thing that is to come, and I think that changes your whole approach to life if you really embrace it, hmm. and it's not just lip service. Sure. It's got to. It's got to change how you approach everything. 
because it's not going to be a big deal if I miss out on uh, some of the things that people say I should chase after now. You only live once, chase after it. I've, if I miss this, I've got something infinitely better. If mm. I miss your your high, if I miss your you know, you're only gonna you're gonna marry the first girl that you you know yeah. uh, are serious in dating, and then be with her your whole life. What well, you're missing out on playing the field. Okay, cool, good, yeah. and, I'm, mm. and I'm going to be at the greatest marriage feast ever. That that this marriage, which is wonderful, is a foretaste of. So momentary. All, yeah, yeah. All of this stuff is uh, coming together, I think, for Christian because he rallies spiritually. Mm. Yep, and, and then, of course, we always talk about what I've changed. And what I've changed is trying to fill in the details of his escape. Uh, I started with Mr. Greatheart. If you've only read part one of The Pilgrim's Progress in the past, you might think I made up Mr. Greatheart, but I did not. No, no, no. Uh, he's a main character in part two, the story of Christiana and her boys. And I thought it would be fun to just throw him in there. Kind of like, you know, on Better Call Saul, when you're like, oh my gosh, there's Gus Fring. He, here he is, uh, kind of prequel to his true story, doing what we know he's doing which is being sent to get people out of spiritual problems mm. and then help them make progress toward the city. And gosh, if that's not a picture of not just pastors, but any faithful Christian who, you know, even those who have had to be bailed out in the past, someone like Generosity, yeah. he says to him, we need you on the road to help other people. Yeah. And there's that passage uh, you will be comforted so that you can comfort others with the same comfort which you have received. Yeah. And and that's, I think, uh, the beauty of a Mr. Greatheart character. Yeah. Also in that he pulls that sword out and just <laughs> go, he, yeah. runs toward the danger, runs toward the spiritual trouble. It doesn't say, oh, that guy's having a hard time. It'd be weird to talk to him. I'm, I'll pray for him. I'll pray for him, but I'm not going to go there and I'm not going to make the call. Yeah. I'm not going to sit next to him on the ale bench. That'd be so weird. Yeah. No, he, he runs toward it. Hmm. That's what a hero does. And that's what this guy does. And he's, he's a hero in my mind. He's, he's one of my favorite characters in all of literature. Uh, Mr. Greatheart's the guy. And when, when you and I met, I had not read part two. Yeah. I had barely been cognizant of it. And when you told me I should read it and I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so I glad I did improvement didn't. in a lot of ways. I was so glad I didn't because now I got to, I'd always wanted to read Pilgrim's Progress again for the first time and I got to do that. Mm. I got to read part two for the first time mm. and now I've read it many times over and uh, I'm, I'm really geeked to get to that. But that, so he gets out um, and gets back on the road. He's got a new companion and we'll see how these things go for them next time. In the meantime, in the words of Mr. Greatheart, Christ be with you, Godspeed, stay on the narrow road. Thanks for listening. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress. Make sure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, and please take a moment to leave us an honest review. This recording, copyright 2022, high and silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Theme music licensed from Pond5.com. Scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, the Holy Bible English Standard Version, copyright 2001 by Crossway, a publishing ministry of good news publishers. Used by permission, all rights reserved. For more audio experiences of my fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com audio. And silver. Cut. <laughs>